Where you go, I'll go. Whatever you ask, I will do. I uh, just want to uh, bring you, uh, just inform you about our, our Easter services. Um, this year, we're going to have a service on Thursday evening at 7 o'clock. It will, it will not be over an hour. It will be a very intimate, uh, quiet, uh, reflective service. And we've been traveling with Jesus in the upper room. We're going to, Thursday night, we'll move from the upper room right uh, into the garden of Gethsemane. We'll move into the uh, uh, Caiaphas' house where Jesus undergoes illegal trials through the night. Um, Friday morning, uh, we'll have a good Friday service that will focus on Jesus um, and on the cross and what he did for us. And feel free to invite somebody to, to that uh, uh, service. Um, also, uh, on, then on uh, Sunday, that will be Friday morning at 10, and then Sunday morning at 10, of course, Easter Sunday. And uh, we will blow the doors off with joyous expression of praise of the victory that has been secured through Jesus Christ. So um, just keep that in mind and uh, invite somebody to come and share, particularly the Good Friday or the Easter Sunday, um, as we gather together. Uh, Wow. I remember when I was uh, a teenager. Yes, I can remember back that far, okay? And uh, we had... Uh, we had a guy who came to our youth group, if you could call it a youth group. We didn't, we didn't have what you guys had, to, you know, like with youth directors, and we, we just had sponsors, and we did the odd thing. But here is this, here's this guy who comes, and God touched his heart. And I know for us as, as peers of this guy who came from one of, one of our high schools, he... he um, and he opened his heart to Christ. And I can remember how thrilled we were. Like we were so excited for him and, and uh, what God had done. And he was so thrilled. You know, do you, remember, do you remember those of you who become Christians, you know, kind of at a point when, you, when God just so touched your life and that initial experience was so full of joy and relief, forgiven, accepted with God and all of the rest of that. And, and, and man, that was, that was such a, an incredible experience for this young man and for us who were his friends. Um, but what we didn't see happening, what we didn't see occurring um, when this happened was the reception that Mike would receive when he went home. See, Mike went home and told his parents, man, the most incredible thing happened to me. I became a follower of Jesus. And um, they were less than uh, welcoming of that idea. In, In fact, their opposition was so severe, they kicked him out of the house. They were a prominent Jewish family, and, and just the thought of their son becoming a follower of Christ was reprehensible to them. And uh, somebody in our church took him in and uh, gave him a place to stay. And it blindsided all of us. I mean, 
You're so excited and so thrilled for what's happened. And then this. And it seems so extreme. And the reaction that they had to this positive, wonderful decision, just we were totally unprepared for. You know, I think a lot of people who become believers are unprepared for what could be fallout from following Jesus. That if you decide to follow Jesus, there may be some fallout because of that. And um, this is in part uh, because uh, we naturally gravitate to the incredible benefits of our faith. I mean, when I think of what Jesus Christ has done for me in, in my life, I, I, you know what? I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. And, and, and so we see that, and, and, and we understand that, all the, the forgiveness and, and, and the life direction and, and transformation of our life and victory over dis, destructive habits and eternal life and all the rest of what we have. Um, I wouldn't trade it for that. But it's interesting, when I listen to some people present the Christian faith, and you know, not to pick on televangelists or, or, or people like that, but there are some people that have made a promise that if you become a follower of Jesus, like your life will turn around and everything will be good in your life. God will prosper you. He'll give you health. He'll cure you from sickness. He'll, he'll um, give you uh, wealth. And so there are books and there are television programs and all kinds of places where you can get that kind of message. And, and so if, if you have bought that bill of goods, if you became a follower of a Christ uh, with, with the notion that everything would be wonderful in your life, all your problems would disappear and you would live a largely carefree life, you may be sadly um, disappointed because Jesus never really promised that. And sometimes I think we sell a false bill of goods about what Jesus is or what he will do. Um, and just hours before Jesus goes to the cross, he's, he has his, his, uh, his disciples, those, those 12 disciples surrounding him. And we've been looking at his farewell, his goodbye discourse. And he's preparing them for what they don't understand. He's going to be on a cross within 12 hours. He's going to be gone and he's going to be leaving them. And so he's preparing them for uh, their future without him, without his presence there. And so we've been looking at this parting wisdom from Jesus in the upper room. And, and far from uh, telling his disciples that everything is going to be rosy, and he, he paints a much more foreboding picture that tells, uh, that tells them that if they follow him, it needs to come maybe with a warning label that says, caution, uh, be prepared for opposition if you follow me. Expect persecution. And this may not be the kind of news that you want to hear this morning. Uh, you, you may not want to hear a sobering message like this, but Jesus is pretty frank and open and forthright um, as he provides us an understanding of some realities that can be in our life because we follow Christ. And so we go from our last passage in John chapter 15 
where we end up Jesus saying, you know what, you are my friends. Um, I love you, and uh, I, I don't even call you servants. I call you friends because a master doesn't tell his servants what he's going to do, but I'm telling you. And I, I just elevated you. And he talked about the love that they should have for one another and how close they were in that, in that bond they had. And, uh, and it's, it, it's just this incredible, warm, loving time. And then Jesus kind of speaks so very frankly and openly about opposition. You're going to find this love in me and in one another and in being a part of my family but look out, you'll also be hated. And so I want to look at the reality of persecution in John chapter 15. In John 15. And, and Jesus tells us this first, that persecution comes because of our connection to Jesus. Persecution comes because of our connection to Jesus. Listen to what he says in John 15 in these two verses. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Next, Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. There's going to be, he says, a hatred for you by some people... And, and that is going to be because of your connection with me, your identification with me. It will be hatred by association. Quite a number of years ago, our extended family uh, had um, uh, a difficult issue that they faced. And, and, and what was surprising was how people polarized and lined up on, on the uh, one side or the other of this issue. And uh, what, what happened was, if you took this stance about this issue, you were here. And if you took the other stance, you were over here. And it, it became like, if you, if you identified yourself with that position that this group of people were taking, then we can't be your friend. You know, so, so we're not going to talk to you, we're not going to treat you well, we're not, you know, and, and vice versa, it happened that way. What, what was the problem? It was, it was um, opposition by association. If you hang out with them, can't be my friend. If you hang out with them, we won't have anything to do with you. And it's kind of that way with Jesus. Um, if you support uh, Jesus, if you're on Jesus' team... By virtue of that connection, uh, you're guilty by association. It's the same uh, with, with Jesus. If you love Jesus, if you're committed to Jesus, some people who don't like Jesus are going to be against you. You haven't done anything to even deserve it. It's just by virtue of your identification that you may find hatred or be ill-treated because of that. And it can be painful and confusing. Like, I don't understand. Why, why are people treating me that way? Why did I get rejected? Why was I kind of pushed aside? Why did nobody call me and tell me, we're doing this and you'd be invited? I'm just kind of kept now at the margin. And I don't know what I did. You didn't have to do anything. And sometimes it's because you're associated with Jesus Christ that people will not be so thrilled with you and push away from you and, and maybe mistreat you. And you need to understand that really Jesus is the target. 
You're not the target. And that's hard to separate sometimes for us. The guy in the early church who was the, the most hated, feared, uh, I shouldn't say hated, who hated Jesus' followers the most, was a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He was a religious leader. He was an up-and-comer. He'd, he'd gone to the best schools, had the best um, mentors, and he was dead set against this new sect, this new faith, this Christian faith that had been birthed out of Judaism. And um, he, was, he was intent on eradicating the earth of Christians. Um, in fact, he thought he was doing God a favor by doing this. And um, so the very first martyr of the church is Stephen. And Stephen is there, and who is leading the charge and has everybody's coats as they stone this man to death because he was a Christian? First Christian martyr. It's this Saul of Tarsus. God did something um, in Saul's life. You know, God, don't ever, ever sell God short. Who would ever have believed that the worst enemy of the church could become the best missionary the church has ever seen? Jesus could, because he can do that in a life. And so Saul was, was on the road to Damascus, and he was going to find Christians so he could put them in jail and, and, and kill them and whatever he could do. And as he's going, the resurrected Jesus Christ showed up on his path. Only Jesus, in all of his glory... All he saw was this incredibly bright light, knocked him off his horse, onto groveling on the ground, couldn't see anything, couldn't do anything, and, uh, and Jesus speaks. And here's what Jesus says. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I, I thought he was just persecuting these people. I thought he was just killing Christians. Yeah, he was. But what did Jesus say? You're persecuting me. It's me you don't like. It's me you can't stand. It's me that you... That, and, 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 and Saul comes to the realization, you know, he says, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And you need to remember, and I need to remember, that sometimes being a Christian, people may not like you and it's not that there's something particularly wrong with you. It's that you've identified yourself with Jesus, and they don't like Jesus, and you may take a hit for that. And we may have to remember that at times, and not to take some of those things as personally. Well, secondly, persecution becomes because we don't belong to the world. We don't belong to the world. In John 15 and 19, it says this, Jesus said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Um, when you played for the world's team, the world loved you. But when you played for my team, now they weren't so crazy about you. A few years ago, uh, the Leafs had a defenseman by the name of Luke Shen. And he was, he was a tough, young, big kid and um, an up-and-comer. And they actually traded him to the Philadelphia Flyers. But Luke Shen, um, he, he had like the most hits on the team. He was a tough guy. He'd take you into the corner. He'd rub you out. He'd, you know, and he supported his teammates really well. But when he was traded to Philadelphia 
And when Toronto played Philadelphia, he wasn't saying, well, I'm going to go easy. Those are my own teammates. He didn't go easy on them. He didn't skate around them. He took them into the boards. He, he had that open ice hit. Whatever he he played his same tough game. Why? Because he's playing for another team now. And now the guy that was his buddy is the guy he's trying to rub out. And, and it's, it's like um, persecution comes because we've changed teams. We used to be on another team. But now God has moved us out. And, um, and he's changed our priorities and our values and, and our allegiances. You see, when you become a Christian, I, and I think sometimes we don't understand this well enough, you, you go through a, a really a, a radical shift in what your values are and what you prize and what you live by and all the rest of that. When you change, when you, when you say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, you begin to develop this whole new worldview, this whole new way of looking and understanding at the world and have new allegiances and new values and new priorities in your life. In essence, what we do is we put on another jersey. We, pray, we play for another team. And, and we have a whole different orientation. And when we do that, it sometimes causes a break with our old life. And we see this happening in different ways. I mean, if you're different, sometimes you get picked on because you're different, right? Remember the kid who, who came to school and he didn't dress like the other kids and he didn't talk like the other kids and he didn't eat what the other kids... And sometimes those, those kids get marginalized. Is there anything wrong? No, but it's just you're different. And now that you're different, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And, and when you become different in terms of your faith... Uh, sometimes that happens. So Christians can be the greatest, most loving uh, people. Uh, they can be conscientious and honest and hardworking. But you can be against them. Because you know what? Those Christians, their moral stance. I mean, th- those Christians, their view on sexuality is, oh, man, they are, so, they are so morally out of touch with where the world is. We have all these definitions of, of sexuality and sexual preference, and we have all of these ideas and notions about the freedom of sexuality and what you can do, and, and it's just an open... Gra- and these, oh man, these Christians are, are incredible. They are so morally prudish. They are so Victorian. Um, um, they're so old-fashioned, they're, and they're intolerant. They just, they don't agree with how other people uh, live. And they could be arrogant or self-righteous, thinking they're right. And, um, and, and, you know, there are issues, and they take such narrow, conservative stands on them. And I don't like those people. Uh, We don't don't share the same kind of values. Intellectually, some of them, uh, you know, they believe in a God. Uh... They believe that God created everything, and you know that science. They're 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 a little out of it. They're out of touch. They're anti-intellectual. They're simple or naive or uninformed, and um, and so sometimes there, there are places where you can't. You know, a professor in a PhD program doesn't want you because you just don't fit with it. You, you're on a different team, and and there are countries in the world that are so hostile toward Christians. Let me just tell you, there's an interesting thing that I've noticed, and, 
And sometimes when people have come from other faith backgrounds or no faith background, just a you know, declared atheistic background, and they, they would say, um, you know, somebody in their family would become a follower of Christ. Nah, we'd tolerate it a little bit. But, um, but when they said, you know what, I'm going to be baptized. Hmm. Now, sometimes that just causes the fur to fly. You're not doing that. You're not going to make this allegiance. And, and you're different. And, and so we need to understand that because we don't play anymore by the world's rules and their values, we play for another team, that we may take a hit for that. Uh, and people's attitudes can be changed. You know, you know what? See, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. We had a change in citizenship. We're in the world we're not of the world. We have another citizenship, a new identity, a new loyalty. Paul would say in Colossians 1.13, God rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. We have a different, uh, a different attitude, and, and, and that can cause hostility. Do you feel it sometimes? Do, do, you, do you sense that? Um, Maybe being put down or left out or not fitting in or you're no longer a part um, of a group that you used to be. Well, next, persecution comes because people uh, don't know Jesus. It comes because they don't know Jesus. Um, in, In John 15, it says this. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they don't know the one who sent me. They don't know God. Uh, you know, the, the incredible thing is, is to know God. We have the privilege of knowing God, knowing who He is, knowing His character, and not just knowing in an intellectual way, but knowing in an experiential way that we are invited into a relationship with Almighty God through Jesus Christ. Uh, We can talk to Him. He talks to us through His Word. He leads and guides us. We have a relationship. We're able to come to know how awesome He is, how powerful He is, um, how sovereign He is in His dominion and rule of, of the very universe. To know that He loves us, Um, To know aspects about who he is by experience is so incredible. And to have that intimate and close relationship. He says, they do this because they don't know God. They don't know what he's like. They don't know that he can lower the boom on them. They don't know that he gives them a breath and takes a breath and gives them a breath. And their very life is dependent upon him. And they they don't have any understanding of what you have. I, I, I just, it, it, he says, it's so sad because when you've known God, when you've walked with God, when you've had a, had a relationship with Jesus Christ, you get it, but they don't get it. And because they don't get it, they can take it out on you. It's because they don't know God. And the psalmist would say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Man, you need to taste and see and experience, and they don't have that. Well, next, persecution comes because sin is exposed. Um, 
The verse says, um, Jesus said, if I'd not come and spoken to them, they wouldn't be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. There's a problem. When, when you have exposure, when, when Jesus Christ shows himself and his standard to us, as he lived a life, Jesus spoke truth. He spoke to the truth that was very pointed too. His word was penetrating and convicting. His word humbled them and exposed them for who they were. Exposed them for um, their, uh, their hypocrisy, the sin that they had hidden. I mean, they had this outward, the religious leaders had this outward sense of being so, um, self-righteous, so, so righteous, but so self-righteous. And so Jesus like calls it like it is. And he shines a light on them. They not only heard him, they saw his miracles and and came to realize. And their response should have been to repent before the Son of God who knows and understands them and and sees right into the recesses of their dark hearts um, to expose who they really are. They should have repented. But instead of repenting, they resisted and they fought and they wanted to kill him. And they did kill him. They, they didn't like that his words and his life exposed them. And uh, so the religious leaders got rid of Jesus. In John 3 and 19, it says that Jesus said this, Light has come into the world, but men love darkness because their deeds were evil. They didn't want the light. Why? Because the light exposes them. You know, you know when you take a big rock and you lift it up and all the, the little critters that like to be in the dark scatter and try and find darkness? Why is it that, that so many of, of uh, uh, crimes are committed in darkness, under the cloak of darkness? Why? Because you don't want to be exposed. You do it because it's, it's not right. And so you do it in darkness and you skulk around. And, and it's that way too with us. Um, there's an exposure. And um, sometimes we don't want to be around a person who exposes us in that way. In my first church, I didn't want to be one of those pastors who doesn't leave his office. I wanted to be connected to the community. I wanted... I wanted uh, to understand what was going on in the community. I wanted to have community relations, not just, I mean, you guys are great, and I love you, and I, I love to hang out with you, but God wants me to hang out with some people who don't know him as well. So I decided I would uh, play rec league hockey. I'm not a very good hockey player, and, and, and I haven't played now for uh, an embarrassing amount of years, but um, I went out and I joined a rec league team so I could keep connected with people in the community. So the first night, I, I went and uh, I, I went in the dressing room, and there were two cases of 2-4 beer. There was uh, cigarette smoke so that you could hardly see the other side of the dressing room. I, and we, you know, we don't do that now, but these guys, I mean... 
And there was uh, all kinds of language, um, colorful language, um, language, people talking about their sexual exploits and all of this kind of stuff. And so here goes this pastor in there quietly. I'm not telling him who I am. I'm just Kevin. And um, incidentally, on my first shift, I got a penalty. How bad was that? <laughs> in rec league hockey, <laughs> I'm sitting, oh, this is terrible. Uh, but uh, sometime later, back in the days... You guys won't know about this, but they used to have things called tellers at the bank. Okay, instead of going to the machine, you actually went to a teller, and they would give you money. Or, and um, I got to know the tellers in the bank that I dealt with, and um, I had a very good relationship. And one of them said to me, Judy said to me, Kevin, by chance, do you play hockey on this team? And I said, yeah. And she went, And I had been incognito, the pastor that nobody knew I was a pastor, but she was talking to somebody and said, you know, I think that's the guy, I think that's the pastor from the church. And they're going, oh my. Because, do you know, when, when, when you come in and, and what you talk about and how you talk and how you behave, if you're in the presence of somebody who doesn't do that, you either have to, you know, just knock them out of the way or, or you, you kind of clean up your language and stuff like that. And because I just wanted to be man-to-man with these guys, I didn't come in waving a pastor card. But have you ever found that, that sometimes if you are standing for what is right and there's somebody who isn't, you make them very uncomfortable. It's not that you want to. It's just that you don't laugh at that filthy joke. You don't say, yeah, let's do it, something that would hurt somebody. You, you don't agree with the people at work, yeah, let's, let's you know, not tell anybody, but we'll, we'll just leave work, and we won't let them know, and we'll steal a little time from the company. But nobody, and, and you say, well, guys, sorry, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay here. What do you, you, what do you do? You make them feel bad, right? And, and when there's the light of Christ in us, people don't they feel guilty, and they don't want to feel guilty. So what do they do? They don't like light, so they stay away from you. Is it your fault? Well, not really. It's just, it's just the way it is. And, and so it's so critical for us to realize that if you're standing for Christ, and I'm not talking about being self-righteous. I'm not looking down at other people and saying, you know, you shouldn't do that, and this kind of thing. I'm just saying... Just live by Christ's standards. Somebody's not going to like it. And you're going to make them feel bad. And it's not that you're trying to. It's just that they, will, they can be, feel convicted or guilty because of that. And it's just your presence and your unwillingness to live a kind of life that would not honor Jesus Christ. And there you are, just being a light for Christ. And sometimes you're going to take a hit for that. And they're not going to like you. They're not going to want to be around you. They may say nasty things about you and put downs. And that's just the way it goes. Well, persecution, next, uh, comes without good reason. But it's within God's plan. It comes without good reason, but it comes with God's plan. One of the hardest things is that Jesus never deserved 
anything he got. All Jesus ever did was to love people, heal people, care for people, uh, teach people, correct people, uh, bind up broken wounds, uh, free them from uh, addictions and, and powers that had bound them in their life. All, that's all he ever did. And what did he get for that? They, hung, they, they, they beat him, they, they abused him, and hung him on a cross to die. And there was, there was no justification for that. In, in John 15, it says this, But this is what is written in their law. They hated me without a reason. They hated me without reason. There was no cause for how they treated me and what they have done. I don't know about you, but sometimes you may take a hit and, and, and say, like, I don't know what I did. These people are treating me this way, and I, I just didn't. I, th- there's nothing that I can think that I did to hurt them or offend them or anything intentional in that way. And here I am. Um, they make fun of me. They, they, uh, you know, they, they, they do nasty things to me, and I, I just, I don't get it. And when Jesus said they fulfill what's written in their law, that is, they hated me without a cause, he's probably referring back to something like Psalm 35, where it says in verse 19, let not those who gloat over me, who are my enemies without a cause, let not those who hate me without a reason maliciously wink the eye. Jesus said, you know, this is prophesied in the Bible. This kind of stuff is going to... The Bible talked about that kind of stuff, and it was happening to Jesus. And you know what? It can happen to us. Um, when you feel like, I, I did nothing to deserve this. And yet, I want to tell you that this is not outside of God's providential control. Why do people mistreat... Uh, uh, excuse me, when people are, are mistreating Christians... Jesus isn't going, oh, no, no, what are they doing? Like it's out of his control. Even some of those things, and this may be hard for us to grasp, even some of those things, um, Jesus is not anxiously wringing his hands like, I can't do anything about this. It can actually be a part of his plan in our lives. Um, it can't ruin God's saving plan. I mean, their abuse of Jesus was the means of saving us from our sin when Jesus died for our sin on the cross. In fact, rather than thwarting God's plan, that kind of stuff can fulfill God's plan. Persecution God can use for his own purposes. And I want to tie this to the next point, and that is this. That Christians are called to bear witness to Jesus with the Holy Spirit. So this stuff can happen and it can be in, within God's will. And yet at the same time, uh, God wants us um, to bear witness to Jesus. Listen to what it says in uh, John uh, 15, 26 and 27. When the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit... When the, when the advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The Spirit is going to bear witness to the person of Jesus. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus said, I have a mission for you, church, 
And that is to bear witness to Jesus, to tell people about Jesus, who he is and what he's done, to help them understand how incredibly wonderful he is and what he's done for them. And and not only will the Holy Spirit testify to that, but he says, you guys, all of us, the church, need to testify to that. And I'll tell you this, that sometimes persecution provides a platform for bearing witness to Jesus. Um, Jesus promised persecution, not only in here, but in Luke. He he said, you know what? They're going to drag you up in front of um, governors and kings and, and rulers. You know what happened to the apostles? They got dragged up before those people. And in being dragged up, they bore witness to the person of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, you know, <clears throat> it's, not, it's not a game changer that negates it because this is in Jesus' life, uh, that he promised persecution and opposition but he also said i'm going to build my church and the very gates of hell will not be able to stand against what he does that's nothing for him that's why he could take the greatest persecutor of the church the apostle paul and turn him into the greatest missionary of the church and uh, the guy who is now enduring the most severe persecution himself. The persecutor now becomes the persecuted. On the heels of Jesus going to heaven, you remember what happened? I mean, we'll, we'll be celebrating this over the, the, the um, Holy Week, but here is, uh, here is his disciples. Jesus is saying, you know, man, guys, I, you know, my heart is heavy. There's some stuff I got to go through. And Peter says, Lord, you can count on me. These guys, but you can count on me. I'll be with you. I'll be with you to the end. And then the heat is turned up. And what do they do? They all run. They flee. All the promises go for nothing. Now here they are. They've seen the resurrected Jesus. He's gone back to heaven. And on the heels of Jesus going to heaven... The apostles do what they were supposed to do. They start and tell people about Jesus. Now, here's what they do. They go into the temple precincts, the, the whole area around on the Temple Mount, and they begin uh, having these massive crowds coming out to hear their speaking about Jesus. Now, these are the guys that killed Jesus, and so they're right in, they're right in their territory continuing to speak about Jesus. And uh, so the the religious leaders bring him in and say, look, what are you guys doing? Uh, You can't talk about Jesus. Well, I'm sorry. Um, When it comes to obeying God or people, we're going to obey God. So do what you will, but you're not going to shut us up. So they went out and they began to uh, speak more. Then they hauled in the whole 12 apostles. They said, what? We told you, shut up. Don't talk anymore about this guy, Jesus. And they said, well, look at Respectfully, when it comes to obeying God or you, we're going to obey God. Sorry. So they beat them. And they released them. Do you know what it said? In, in, in one of the most incredible verses in the Bible in, in Acts 5.31. He said, they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. You know what? 3,000 people 
became followers of Jesus. That very shortly became 5,000 people. This was the start of the church. It exploded because there was a platform for them to speak. And in spite of persecution, God still had a program to fulfill for his church. And, and this, this just grew. And they could not shut them up. They couldn't stop them. They kept preaching. And, and so the persecution wouldn't stop. And I told you about Stephen, who was martyred and, and uh, um, stoned to death. And after that, in Acts chapter 8, in verse 1, it tells us that there was a great persecution that began. Now, God, now Jesus told the disciples, what you need to do is you need to take this good news and share it first in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, that's the province around the capital city, and then to the province north of that, and that is the, the province of Samaria, where they're kind of these different ethnic, ethnically different group there. And they stayed in Jerusalem. And they, they were having such a good time and such fruitful ministry. But Jesus said, no, you, you can't stay in Jerusalem. You've got to go to all Judea and you've got to go to Samaria. So here comes this severe persecution. And we're told in the scripture that all of the, all of the Christians fled because of the severe persecution. And do you know where they went into? All Judea and Samaria, what Jesus had said. So even though they weren't obeying by going out, he used persecution to push them out, and the gospel begins to spread and spread so that in the first 30 years of the church is probably over 100,000 believers, and it's, and it's going around the world. You see, Jesus is able to do that. The apostle Paul, the persecutor, um, is, is taken and imprisoned for some time. And as he's in prison, um, he gets to speak a defense before Governor uh, Felix. And when Felix is finished with him, and he hears all about the gospel, then Governor Festus hears all about the gospel. And after Festus has heard him, because he's in prison for a couple of years, they just keep him in prison. They don't know what to do with him. They keep him in prison. And after that, King Agrippa comes, and they say, well, you come and listen, and, and uh, you know, um, listen to this guy. And Paul is, he is just sharing the good news of the gospel with them. The guy says, Paul, you think in such a short time you can make me a Christian? Oh, Paul says, I don't know they're short or long, but I pray that you'd come to know what I know. And then if that wasn't enough, he got sent to Rome because things were not, you know, they weren't making any progress. So he said, well, let me appeal to Rome. So they sent him as a prisoner to Rome and he's, he's in prison in Rome. And there he is. And, and, and wherever he is, he's speaking the good word. God gave him a platform so that all of the praetorium guard, all, all of the Caesar's guards who had to guard this guy over time, they all know about it. And Paul could say in... Um, in Philippians uh, chapter 4, that uh, greet all the believers in Caesar's household. The news was going everywhere. What did he do? He used persecution. And so this thing that could be tough for us, this thing that could be hard for us, can be the very thing that God uses in an incredible way. Persecution is not a death knell for the Christian faith, but it's something that God can use for his purposes. In the early 1950s, um, there were a group of guys that included Jim Elliott and um, 
Nate Saint, and, and, and three other guys. They were some of the brightest, uh, young, energetic, passionate guys, and they were training for ministry, and, and they wanted to be missionaries, so they went to Ecuador, and there in Ecuador, uh, they were working among some of the, uh, the Indian groups. But there was a tribe of people um, called the Alka Indians that were buried deep in the forest, and they had not really had much of any kind of contact with the outside world. Um, uh, they had some, some very uh, dark and wicked practices. Um, they were the Stone Age kind of people, spears and all of that kind of thing. But the passion that these guys had was we got to get to those people who've not heard anything about Jesus Christ. And so uh, they, they, worked, uh, they worked at that. And um, they had a plane, and they had a pilot, and he would, he would fly over. They surveyed the area. They, would, they, would, uh, they made themselves a little landing strip. They got a place where they could go in. And they began to make a con- uh, contact with these, these people. Um, they would let down baskets. They would give them gifts, uh, food and, and knives and plastic cups and all kinds of things that, that they had never had before. And, and they're building this relationship, and it, w- it was so um, incredible. And they would be in radio contact, uh, you know, uh, here, you know, we're going to be leaving, and, and things were going so smashingly well that uh, those tribes people would come out, and they, would ex- they began exchanging things now. And they began learning a little bit of some very basic things in their language. And then one time they didn't hear from them, and they didn't hear from them. And so they sent out a plane, and as the plane surveyed the area, they saw the plane that they'd taken, and it was all smashed to pieces. And what they found out, all the bodies of these men uh, had been killed. They'd been killed with spears. They had guns with them. They would not turn the guns on these people. And they killed all of them. And uh, I think, man, what a waste. These were the brightest, some of the brightest, the most committed uh, people. They had wives there. This, this was a great tragedy. It, it, the, the news of this was spread all over. But God took that. And God seeded the, the whole call to, to reach out to people who have never heard the gospel before. Even that there was... Uh, persecution and uh, of this kind of extreme and so what they did was they they went into uh it inspired people to go and say i will take up that challenge we will go and take their place and what happened was god began to work in uh, that tribe there's a picture here um that picture is um one of the tribesmen who had killed those men with his own spear the man with his arm around him was Nate Saint, uh, Nate Saint's son, um, and his—that's uh, the man who had killed his father. He was able to embrace him, and now there were hundreds of Aukas who'd confessed Jesus Christ. And and it was that that the persecution didn't stop them, but it became something. Uh, to help them understand and see that God's plan could be fulfilled even in spite of that. Well, they said that persecution, the, the, the blood of persecution can be that which waters the seed of the gospel. 
and persecution can be used by God. In the next four verses, um, we have be warned, uh, be warned, Jesus, be warned of the inevitability of persecution. Um, In these next few verses that tie off our message, uh, it says, um, Jesus said, all this I've told you so that you won't fall away. He said, I want to warn you, I'm going away, but you got to realize there's going to be some tough times. They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you thinks they're offering a service to God. They'll do such things because they've not known the Father or me. I've told you this, so that when their time comes, you'll remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Next. That's it, okay. Um, so he finishes, he finishes saying, look it, guys, here's, here's the deal. You're going to suffer. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna paint it over with something that it's not. You need to expect that and, and I will be with you and do some wonderful things. Hey folks, we don't, we don't suffer a lot of persecution here. There are places in the world where to follow Christ, uh, you've got a death sentence on your head. You'll either be imprisoned, um, you'll be kept from progressing, maybe getting into school, getting a good job. Um, you, you may be on a hit list, someone will kill you, particularly if you convert from some other faith to follow Christ, um, or you're encouraging people to consider Jesus Christ. You, you, you can have a bullseye on you, and people will want to... Uh, will want to kill you. Uh, we, don't, we don't suffer that kind of depth of persecution here, but I don't know what the future holds, what it will mean to follow Christ faithfully when, when the world is, is, is turning left as we turn right. Um, but I want to challenge you. Would you be willing? What would you be willing to sacrifice or to endure for the sake of identifying with Christ? Or... or Will you just cheap out and say, well, yeah. Like Peter. Hey, you were with him, weren't you? Remember the, even the little girl, the little servant girl. Peter, you were with him, right? I, didn't, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. Never seen him. I, I pray that, that we would be faithful in that. Let me just close off with um, responding uh, to persecution. I'll give you a couple of things very quickly. First, expect it. Expect persecution. You say, well, I haven't really experienced that. Um, yeah, and that's great. I, I, you know, a sense, I, I hope you don't have to. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Expect it. Just expect it, that something will happen because of your identification with Christ. He goes on to say this in, in uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, uh, th- uh, 3. He says, um, he says this, I don't want people to be unsettled by these trials. They were going through persecution at tough times. He says, for you know quite well that we're destined for persecution. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you know. Expect it. Don't be, don't be caught off guard with something like that. Secondly, accept it. Accept it. Um, the book of 1 Peter is about Believers struggling and suffering and being persecuted. 
Peter says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. This is a test, folks. Are you going to be faithful to Christ? As though something strange were happening. Don't, don't, don't look as this strange. This is normal. Continue. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Accept it. Accept it. And thirdly, grow from it. Grow from it. Um, 1 Thessalonians 3. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution... We were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you you are standing firm in the Lord. Um, And the next verse. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. You know what? God will take and build character and, and virtue into us Sometimes it's through persecution. And so don't fight it. Allow God to grow with you. There'll be some tests for you to say, are, are, you, really, are you really in for this? Is Christ really the center of your life? Or, or are you just, you know, the, the, the first time an adverse wind blows, you're gone. No, it's a test and it's a, it's a way that God grows us. And, uh, and the last thing is this. Uh, don't unnecessarily provoke it. Like, we're not saddest, people. We're not, you know, we're not hitting ourselves in the head and thinking we're doing a service to God. Don't look for trouble. Um, but don't unnecessarily provoke it. I think there's some Christians who uh, just do a, a terrible job of representing Christ. They may be so arrogant. Look down uh, on others. You know, that, that they're better than they are. We're nothing but sinners saved by grace. We have nothing to brag about. We're not better than other people. We're just, we're just so blessed that God has revealed himself and worked in us. And so what you want to do is um, don't, don't do stupid things. Don't, don't, uh, don't, don't make Christians look bad. Don't be arrogant. Don't be self-righteous. Don't, don't do stuff like that. If you have to take a hit for the gospel, the gospel is worth being offended over. But don't offend people unnecessarily. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that in our life groups. Um, we're called to follow Christ no matter what. And Jesus said, guys, just be aware of this. There can be some bumps in the road. And I want you to be faithful to me. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for opening our eyes and our understanding so that we might see you and come to know you. And Father, um, some of us may be challenged with persecution. And for us, it may be such a light thing. Maybe just rejection or, or, or maybe uh, somebody's speaking ill of us. Or uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to be faithful to you no matter what that we wouldn't be caught off guard by this, but we would honor you with our lives through it. Give strength to that person that's going through some stuff now. Help us uh, to seek you and find strength and realize that we have something that is so far better
that we can get through these bumps in the road and we will forever enjoy being in your presence. Thank you in Jesus' name.